Judges chapter 7, we'll begin at verse 18. The Bible says, When I blow the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, yeah, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp, the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And he stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. It's a very familiar story this morning. I don't want to preach on the battle. Most messages we hear on Gideon are uh, about this battle. Uh, I, I want to talk about what happens after the battle. But just let's go back to chapter 6 for just a moment. We understand what was happening here in the book of Judges. Uh, it was chaos. It was carnality. Judges is one of the more dif- difficult books of the Bible to read because it is depressing to see what was happening. This was God's nation, God's people. And they were defiling themselves in wicked ways. And uh, God allowed uh, nations to come in and conquer them. In this case, it was the Midianites. And uh, literally, the Bible says, verse 5, they were coming as swarms of grasshoppers. And they were not only uh, stealing everything of value, they were destroying everything that was left. And the Bible says Israel was greatly impoverished. And the angel of the Lord comes there to Gideon, looking for a leader. God is still looking for leaders. There is no way to emphasize enough in this day and age the need for spiritual leadership on every level. In politics, in our churches, behind our pulpits, in our homes, uh, Everywhere we go, Christians, uh, instead of stepping back, ought to be asking God's help to step forward in the area of spiritual leadership. We all have excuses. He had an excuse. Uh, We all could look at ourselves and say, uh, there's no way I'm capable. There's really no way God has anything to use here. Well, welcome to the crowd. But aren't you thankful for the Spirit of God working in the life of men to accomplish his purpose, and he would tell Gideon just that. I, I'm going to work through you, Gideon. I'm here to do what I did in days past. And that was Gideon's question, verse 13. If, if the Lord's with us, why has all this befallen us? Sin always has a consequence, forsaking God's word. If you look back on our nation, its history, you, you have to ponder and say, how did we get to this point? How, how do we reach this moment In American history, we're so far from God's word, which means we're so far from God's blessing as a result of that, and now suffering the consequences. But here's what he does. Chapter 6, he blows the trumpet, and a great army gathers around him. But in that process of spiritual leadership, he's going to have to take some steps very quickly. Verse 25, we've highlighted in the past, I don't want to stay here, but you know God's word comes to him and says two things. You've got to tear down the altar of Baal in your father's house, and then you've got to establish an altar unto the Lord. And this is where most Christians falter in spiritual leadership. When it comes to their family and having to face their family, suddenly that spine uh, of steel becomes a spine of spaghetti, and uh, they... 
they shake and quake and worry and say, I just can't stand up to uh, this sin, this person, this circumstance. And here's what he does. Do it however you have to do it. He does it at night and he grabs 10 friends. So if, if you need to read your Bible at night because you're embarrassed someone seeing you during the day, at least read it. Amen. If, if you're afraid of passing out tracks, someone will shout you down. At least leave it in the bathroom sink at the restaurant. <laughs> Do something for God to establish a backbone or you'll never reach a place of spiritual leadership. Surround yourself. Here's what you ought to do. While you're in that place where you're trying to grow and become strengthened spiritually, surround yourself with people that are stronger than you uh, that will encourage you in the steps you're supposed to be taken. Someone asked me the other day, what's the quickest way uh, to change my life and change my behavior? Change your friends. If you make a drastic change of friends, you'll see a drastic change in your behavior because you'll be held accountable. And he takes those men. And let me, let me just say this. I, I believe at this point it's easy to, to create a life of self-deception. I truly think that they were worshiping and thinking that they were doing the right thing. That, that's how mixed up and messed up you become in your mind. There are churches all across this nation using the wrong Bible, and carnal music, fleshly, worldly methodology in their churches. You won't even hear from the Word of God. You'll hear some speech about some life story from this past week. And truly, people are sitting there convinced that they're doing something that is a spiritual activity drawing them closer to God. And as a spiritual leader, you've got to help those around you Understanding uh, this book guides us. God's word helps us in understanding what truth is, discerning truth, following after truth, and not living a lie. Amen. Now, it wasn't well received. You guys all know what happened here. They wanted to kill him. Uh, but God uh, spared me, had a purpose for him. And he blows the trumpet. And just a, a little reminder here. When you stand up and you step up in spiritual leadership, there are people that want to do right. They just need someone to lead. Your family will do right if you lead. Your children will do right if you lead. Those under you in your ministry, whatever area of responsibility you have, when you do the right thing, they'll follow. They just need leadership. Most women that have to lead spiritually do not desire the position. They just have an absence of spiritual leadership in the home. Most kids that do right and have to take spiritual lead, that's not their desire. There's an absence of spiritual leadership among their parents in the home that forces them into that position. And in this case, we find there was no one here to say, why did God pick Jephthah? Why did God pick Samson? Why did God pick Gideon? He had no choice. This was the cream of the crop. Wasn't much crop. 300 years of great dearth of spiritual leadership. And we're seeing that cycle take place right here in the United States of America. You know what happens? He has this army, 32,000 men. God says that's too many. Now, we, we can do the math and say that's not too many. Military terms. God said, this isn't about Israel. This isn't about Israel getting any uh, accolades. This is about my might, my, my power. We're going to have to trim off here some of this group, the fearful, uh, those that have unstable minds. 
they need to go. And I'm not trying to be overly personal. But <laughs> the day and age we're living in, Satan is trying to get you to live in fear 24-7. And here's what happens. You're becoming an unstable mind. And you're going to have to gird up the Lord in your mind and say, God is still God. The word is still true. Principles haven't changed. If God is on my side, I'm still on the right side. I don't have to cave to our culture. I don't have to change because it's not even that culture is changing. Churches are changing. Pastors are changing, acting as if the word of God had changed, and it has not changed. And God said, just go ahead and let the fearful go now and uh, take them down to the water. And we, and we know what happened. Those with uncontrolled, unbridled passions, when he, when he brings them down there, they just stick their face in the, uh, the creek like a dog. He said, send those boys home. You know what, church? If, if you can't control your passions, you, you can't be of any use to God. And here's what God is doing. God is separating that. And he, and he gets it down in a group of 300. We know the story and the battle plan. I would have loved to have seen Gideon's face when he heard the battle plan. Trumpets and pitchers. And you're going to break those, make a large and loud noise, and you're going to blow the trumpets, and the enemy's going to flee, and they're going to kill each other. And Gideon says, come on, like you just say, oh, Lord, that's a great plan. I, you know, that's what I was thinking. Let's just pull this down to 300 and pull out the trumpets, and this will work. God's plan never makes sense to us. That's why it's called an act of faith. But God had it all together. And he just was reminding Gideon, this isn't about you. I just need you to do your part, which is to step up, take your place as spiritual leader. You act in faith, obey my word, and I'll fulfill my purpose. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about equipped for the battle. And in this case, as I read this text, I, I want you to see three things because... Really, here's what we have to be careful for. Sometimes we're equipped for the battle, but not the battle after the battle. So we would think right here, we see the victory, and uh, the majority of this crowd, they literally, they kill each other, and uh, the victory is mostly won. There is a group left, a remnant left that flees, that needs to be destroyed. And Christians, just a quick reminder in your Christian life, if that sin is not, if that enemy is not totally destroyed, it will return to do more damage in your life and in your home. So here's what Gideon did. Look what it says, verse 24. Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying, come down. So the enemy, what is left, they are running. They are fleeing for their lives. Gideon could have said, that's it. God gave us Pretty much the victory, we're fine. He said, no, we need to utterly destroy the Midianites. He calls out to the tribe of Ephraim to help come down against the Midianites. Take before them the waters under Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim, they gathered themselves together, very strategic points along the escape route, verse 25. And as a result, what happens? They took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They slew Orb upon the rock of Orb. Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Orb and Zeb and Gideon on the other side of Jordan. Now you would think this would be a great cause for celebration. They still have not totally won the battle. 
but they've seen God rout the enemy, supernaturally perform miracles on their behalf. After seven years of living this way in great fear, knowing if I even plant corn, it's just going to be stolen or destroyed. If I try to hide a tomato plant, I probably won't get to enjoy or eat it. And they're living in abject poverty as a result of the Midianites. And suddenly this enemy has been destroyed. You'd think the nation would rise up in great rejoicing and support of this leader. But let's see what happens. After Ephraim joins the battle, verse 1 of chapter 8, the men of Ephraim said unto him, they all get together. Now let, let, look at this. There should be great rejoicing. So what is the conversation about? Let's, God allows us to sneak into the conversation. Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. You know, we're talking about equipped for the battle. What battle? The battle after the battle. And the battle after the battle, number one, is criticism. When you get in the battle, I don't care where, if you get in a Sunday school class, if you get in a bus route, if you get in junior church, if you get in whatever ministry the church provides you, so many street preaching, whatever it is, when you get in and you get involved and you walk in, God, I want to be used, I want to be spirit filled, and I want to be learned, I want to be instructed, I want to have the right mentor. Prepare yourself because you think you're fighting the devil. You think you're fighting the enemy. You think your fight is out there. But some of the greatest injuries will be caused by those that should be celebrating with you the work of God. And instead, they believe their God-given duty is to critique those that are involved. Brother, I'm glad you're passing out tracks. I just don't think that's the right track. You know, that was a pretty good lesson. But uh, uh, let me tell you a couple things. It, it doesn't matter what you do for God. A critique will critique Anything, everything, all the time, because they feel it is their spiritual gift. Now, let me ask you this. When he blew the trumpet, did Ephraim not hear the call? The nation knew. Why, why didn't you call us when you went into battle? Oh, because you didn't want to do the hard work. That's why you wanted to wait till the majority of the battle was over and then step in, beat your chest, and pretend like you were a big gun in the sun. And here's what they're doing. You've got to understand, those that are doing very little always have a lot of time to observe the work that is being done and critique it. So you can expect those with calluses on their backside to have calluses on their tongue because they can't spend enough time and energy in critiquing those that are doing the work. And if you're going to be equipped for the battle, you've got to say, I'm equipped with faith and I'm equipped with the Word of God and I'm equipped with the Spirit of God. But when you get in there, you think you're fully equipped. Let me ask you this. Are you equipped for the criticism that is to come? Over the past 30 years of ministry, I've faced, I've faced criticism as a pastor. I've faced criticism as a missionary. I've faced uh, a lot of different criticisms. But nine times out of ten, it's not criticism as a pastor from a pastor. It's criticism as a pastor from someone that's never, ever pastored. They have no idea what they're talking about. And if you're a Sunday school teacher and you get criticism, 
it's probably not coming from the mouth of another Sunday school teacher. It's coming from someone who never taught a Sunday school class. But they know how to run it. Run it. Speaking of this memory in between their lips. Called the tongue. And here's, here's what you have to do in life. You have to say, I need to be equipped and I'll always put it in its context and say criticism ought to make me a better person. There's some criticism that will sharpen me and help me and, and, and uh, help me to see blind spots. I understand that. But if, if we pay that much attention to criticism and here's what I like about his response at this point, it was one of great humility. Now, if he was the average Baptist church member, he would have said, you knuckle noses, idiots. How many of you have ever responded that way to your critics? Maybe you didn't have a platform, you didn't have a microphone. Maybe you thought it and then when you got with them, you just didn't have the courage to say it, but it was going through your head. Look what he says to them. He said to them, what have I done now in comparison to you? What humility. He was the one that God used to bring the victory. But he's saying, hold on, what's the gripe? I'm nobody. I did nothing. Look what he says. Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezar? He said, uh, listen, we, we know what gleanings and harvest are. Gleanings, you're just reaching for what is left. The harvest is, is taking the blessing of the crop in its fullest extent. And they were just coming behind to glean uh, the victory that had already been won through this man of God. But here's what he said. Your gleanings were much greater than my harvest. It's stretching to get in, but way to go. How many think he should have become a politician? Because that was, that was a good one. Three. God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? He said, listen, I went out there. I, fought. I didn't capture any big wig. I, didn't, I wasn't able to grab the captain or the general. Or, we, we just played the trumpets and broke the pictures. And, and God brought a great victory. And now we're pursuing the remnant. And you were able to, the, the two biggest names of the battle, you captured them. You killed them. So what is your complaint? If it weren't for you, this whole thing would be a big disaster. It was with great humility. You know the best way to disarm your critics? You know what a critic wants? Accolades you're receiving. It wouldn't be hurt. It wouldn't be bad. Just give one. Does it really matter? You know what it'll take? Big dose of humility. I don't know you're fussing about. You're a much better preacher than I am. Definitely a better pastor. Undoubtedly a better husband. But I don't know why God put me in this role. He was looking for an idiot and I raised my hand. <laughs> and here's what he did. Instead of fighting them down, instead of creating an additional battle, instead of doing something that, that would take a small skirmish into a full-blown war, he said, does any of this matter? At this point, he was humble enough to say, this wasn't me anyways. This was God. And God, you should. So, so why are you fussing about whether or not you were joined to battle? And let me just say this. 
God picked 300, and no one from Ephraim was included in that 300 anyways. And here's what we do in life. We can understand why God picked certain people and how he picked certain people and where he places those people. And here's what we do in our human flesh. We try to reason that out, and that's always pride. Why would God use him and not deadly, more intelligent, more skilled, better looking? We laugh, but we know in our hearts that's rattled around our brains. And any envy, any jealousy is a matter of we think ourselves to be superior than someone else that God has placed in a superior position. We think visibility equates to more important position. God gave you an area of service. And don't allow Satan to play with your mind and minimize wherever it is that God has placed you to serve. You do your duty, you perform your task, and maybe you catch an Orv or a Zeb, but it really doesn't matter. What matters is about God's glory and God's honor, and as soon as we start fighting for that, and in the case of Ephraim, we see this later on, it happened with Jephthah too, but Jephthah wasn't as patient. Jephthah went in and started slaying those bozos. Because they did this, they said the same thing. He went in and won a battle, and they said, why didn't you include us? And Jephthah said, kill these suckers. He wasn't quite as polished or as spiritual at the moment. Maybe they caught him. How many of you can be a pretty good Christian unless it's a really long, hot, hard day? <laughs> and you're like, okay, don't test me. I will hurt you. Maybe that was Jephthah's moment. Don't test me. Kill him. And maybe, you know, Gideon had a little bit of rest and he was feeling, feeling better. I don't know. Look what it says, verse 3. God hath delivered your hands, those princes. What was I able to do in comparison? What happened as a result of his correct response? What happened? Then their anger was abated toward him. You know, you know what they needed? This is what they needed. Way to go. You knocked it out of the park. That's all they needed. Sometimes you know what you need to do with your enemies? Just bump knuckles. You don't even have to fill it. Let it go. It's your pride anyways. It's your pride. And listen, you know what a critic wants? He wants recognition. He'll need it today. He'll need it tomorrow. You say, well, I'll bump fists with him today. I'm just not going to do it tomorrow. Don't worry about it tomorrow. Just let it go. Let it go. Look what it says in verse 4. Gideon came to Jordan. They passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him. Faint yet pursuing. Let's say that phrase together. Faint yet pursuing. You know what being equipped for the battle after the battle is about? Uh, number one, it's about dealing with criticism. Number two, it's about dealing with weariness. Now here's what happens. When you go into battle, whatever it is, health issue, family issue, relationship work, financial issues, sometimes all of those at the same time, and you have fought through those things, and God provides the majority of the victory. The problem is not the victory. The problem is not getting to that point of victory. The problem is just about the time God begins to do the supernatural, you're so emotionally, physically, spiritually worn out that if a toe jumped on your lap, it'd break your leg. Can't take it. You, you just can't take it. And at that point, 
it's not going to take much to break him. They're faint yet what? Pursuing. They're saying, we've had a difficult battle take place. We don't have the energy. We don't have the strength. But we will continue to pursue. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to reach a point in life. It's not one thing. It's age. It's pain. It's sickness. It's heartache. It's all of the above together on the same plate. You say, what do I do? Pursue. We think being faint, we, we get a card. Guess what? Christian life not a soccer game. You know what they do in soccer? You know, if they're running around, they can't make a goal or something, you know, they, they crash legs with someone else, they lay on the ground like it's broken. How many of you ever seen that? And then they bring, I, I get sick to my stomach. That's why I can't watch soccer. They bring out a stretcher, and the lame legged liar gets rolled onto the stretcher, and they carry him off, and 20 seconds later, he's running out there. I thank God for a dad. You know, his kids, you're doing things, you know, woodwork, whatever, whatever you're doing, jumping down the tree, whatever, you cut your head off. And he's like, tape that on and get back to work. <laughs> what are you thinking about getting your head cut off on the job? Don't you ever do that again. It's what duct tape is for. How many had a dad like that? We thank God. He, he taught you, you're hurt, you're faint, you're worn out, you're weary. And you know what you do? You may not run as fast. You may not run as hard. You may not battle on the same level, but you still pursue. How many of you ever been to soul winning on a Saturday morning when you were too faint to soul win? You know what you do? Hook up with the right partner, someone that's not faint. You find someone on that Saturday all the, do all the talking. You're faint, you still pursue. You say, I'm too faint to read my Bible. Use your Bible and have someone read it to you. You'd be faint, still pursue. I'm too tired to go to church. Have your wife drive. Sit in the back. Escape during the invitation. Amen. Chris does it. Faint yet pursuing. Amen. The battle after the battle is where we've got to equip ourselves. I've, I've seen too many people wiped out after the battle, not in the battle. Watch God do the supernatural. Instead of rejoicing at what God did, they came out so faint, they face-planted five days later. you got to understand, your spirit, your flesh, your strength has limitations. And when you're at that weak moment, you better make sure you've got the right people around you propping you up and saying... Hold me accountable. Don't let me quit. Don't let me fall. I'm in a weak moment. I didn't need someone to strength. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back stronger than ever. I'm going to be fine. I'm just not fine right now. I need lasagna and a three-day vacation. Some of you look like you don't need lasagna. Okay, let's skip down to verse 23. Some of you find the whole message until that phrase, and now you're upset. Judges 8, 23, Gideon said to them, no, let's go to 22. Then the men of Israel, they said to Gideon, rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of the Midian. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Doesn't that sound great? 
Just don't read the rest of the chapter. Because it sounded good. Here's the problem. You equip yourself for the battle after the battle. You better watch out because you're going to deal with criticism. And you're going to deal with weariness. But you're going to deal with pride. And here's what's going to happen. We can say the right things, but inside we have a heart of flesh that loves just a little bit of the accolade. This was all God, and he picked the right servant. Don't you wish that humility was just a natural tendency, and it's not? You know, you get awake, you can beat your pride down yesterday, and you're going to wake up, and it's there. It's ingrained in the heart. It's, now that's why God said, do yourself a favor. Humble yourself. You, that's a daily exercise. You humble. God said, I don't want to have to humiliate you. And God said, we, we see the Bible example, Nebuchadnezzar and others. You don't want to put yourself in that spot. Uh, we read of a man that was eaten by worms in the book of Acts because he stood up and brought glory to himself. And God said, I'm not going to even allow a heathen to take any of my glory. And here's what he did. The words were right, the heart was wrong. And here's how you know that which would immediately follow, verse 24. Gideon said unto them, I, I would desire a request of you. I don't want a throne, I don't want a kingdom. But uh, if you all bring the, earn, the, the earnings of his prey, they had golden earrings from the Ishmaelites, and they answered, we will willingly give them. They spread a garment, did cast their in every man the earrings of his prey. The weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Now, I'm not getting the argument, you know, Bible scholars, help, bless your hearts, trying to figure out talent of gold, talent of would you just, Would you just grasp what God's trying to tell you, and it's not trying to get you to become a mathematician at today's gold prices. Okay, the value is well over a million dollars. But that doesn't even matter. What matters is, why would he say, I don't want a throne, I don't want to be your king, and my kids aren't going to be your king, but hey guys, uh, let's, let's go ahead and fork over the gold. That's what a king says. So you just contradicted yourself. One minute you said, I want to be king, the next minute you said, okay, bring me the gold. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to do three or four things and make it obvious that although he wasn't going to grab the title, he was actually going to play the part. Because you know what he's going to do at this point? He's not going back into battle. No, he's going to sit on the throne of a little kingdom that he established. And things are going to go downhill from here. But the first thing he does, he takes his gold and he makes a golden ephod. Now, we know ephods were worn by priests. Here's what he does. He establishes his own little spiritual temple. Not God's way. Uh, God was not in the business of making golden ephods. And the Bible says the whole nation goes a whoring after that. You know what he should have done immediately? He should have immediately torn it up, melted it down, gone into the uh, jewelry business. Right? Make some wedding bands. But no, he allows this to corrupt the kingdom. And here's what kings did. Kings said, I don't care about other, the other place of worship in the kingdom. I want to have my own little uh, temple, my own little spiritual Mecca. Uh, and I want the gods on my side. And I get to determine the rules. And he went from a great victory to now a great spiritual defeat where he says, bring me the gold, I'm going to make it. He knew what he was doing. This was not accidental. 
You know what he did? This was not a stupid error. This was an act of pride. And church, we need to equip ourselves for the battles to come. And when God blesses and God gives us a, a victory, I, I don't care if your Sunday school class has 20 or 200. I don't care if your church has 20 or 2,000. I don't care. Whatever you do in life, Satan will give you a bone big enough to feed your pride and convince you that you're the man of the hour. And you can't hit a high note, and God will let you stand on the stage and sing, and Satan will help you hit the high note. Say, if God really got in on that, no, your flesh really got in on that. You see how I nailed that high note? Verse 27. Gideon made an ephod thereof, and he put it in what? Did you see the, the kingdom being established? So he's, he's got a city now. He, he's got a spiritual mecca now. And all Israel went thither whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. And let me just say this. Parents, what, what he's going to do in the devastation he's going to cause in his house, his kids going to all end up in the wrong trail. Uh, 36 of those kids are murdered. You know what? He's going to take his wealth and facilitate their lives. And in the end, he totally destroys them. Parents, this is not the message this morning, but I'm going to help you out. I've watched too many parents think they're doing their child a favor. And the very thing they think is a favor is guaranteeing destruction in that home. I, I'm going to get that kid his car. I'm going to get that kid his cell phone. I'm going to get that kid his computer. I'm going to get that kid his internet. I'm going to get that kid. And what you couldn't handle when sin was less accessible, they can't handle when their flesh is more prevalent. That's not even willful ignorance. That is guaranteed stupidity. And as parents, I've watched over and over the destruction of kids in the best of environments because parents say, what I didn't have, they should have. What made you stronger is not suddenly going to hurt them. What made you weaker is not going to make them stronger. And we facilitate them with the very devices that are guaranteed to destroy their life prematurely. From pornography to the devil's music to an introduction to lifestyles that no one should participate in. Money that they can't handle. You're not doing them a favor. And here's what he is. He is not going to see the end, but he's going to see the path that he put them on. From the ephod that led them into idolatry to a life that was totally godless that led to, can you imagine that family holding 36 funerals the same day? Look what it says. Verse 30, Gideon had three score and ten sons of, of his body begotten, for he had what? He had a harem. He's, he's playing the king. You see it? I'm not going to rule over you. Here's my spiritual mecca. Here's my city. Here's my harem. Look what it says in verse 31. More proof. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name he called what? Abimelech. Ab Abimelech is actually not a name. Lamech is king. Abim, Abba 
is father. Abimelech is my father's king. So he said, you, my son, are going to be called my father's king. Are, are you guys seeing what happened here? We're talking about equipped for the battle. The problem is not always the battle. The problem is the battle after the battle. When you're going to face criticism, you, you've got to know how to deal with it. You're going to face weariness. You, you better be equipped to deal with it. But you're going to face pride. And your pride's going to say, I got this together. I don't need any instruction. I don't need anyone to help me. I don't need any rebuke. I don't need any criticism. And when he face plants, he takes an entire family and nation with him. And that same victory that God had used him to bring to the nation now is swallowed up in idolatry, wickedness, and defeat. Because he said words that sounded great, and we all can do this. I will not be your king. My sons won't be your king. Not today. You better say, oh God, save me from the monster that is pride. Because when I fall, it won't just be me alone. I'll take a lot of people with me. 